this week we finished our vacation Bible school. It was a big deal. There's a ton of work that goes into it. And a lot of people think, well, you know, VBS, there's some people working here, you know, five nights a week. What you don't normally see is we had several folks who were up here the weekend before, pretty much putting two full days in to making this place look really cool. Those of you who were here last Sunday saw part of it. You know, we had like a moonscape set up. It was even better during the week. There was a bunch of other work, planning work, computer work, that sort of thing, with trying to put things into place, not just days or weeks ahead of time, but months ahead of time. Right? We start thinking VBS usually January, February. There's a lot of stuff we that goes into it. And it's a tiring week. It can be a grueling week. But we do it because we think it's important. We want the kids to know Jesus. We want them to have the seeds of the gospel planted in their lives so that five years, ten years, twenty years down the road, you never know what comes back to mind when they hit a rough spot. Maybe their family doesn't, doesn't bring them to church. Maybe they don't grow up following Christ. But maybe somewhere along the line, they'll start thinking, you know, when you're sad, shine Jesus' light. That was one of the night's themes. So we look ahead to it. We work for it. We want it to be a success. And every Christian lives expecting an event. The biggest event ever. No, not the party, not a wedding. It is the return of Christ where the righteous will be brought to be with Him eternally. Uh, you think people look forward to holidays now. It is the fulfillment of our hope. The final culmination of God's promises. Every Christian is looking forward to it in some way. And that return of Christ is at the forefront of Paul's second letter to the Christians in the city of Thessalonica. We come to 2 Thessalonians, and as Paul writes, to, writes this letter to the church, it seems that they had some misunderstandings related to the event of Christ's return. Some thought that it may have already happened and they were discouraged. Others were using Jesus' return as an excuse for their laziness. And Paul writes to correct them. And as he writes, he explains some things about the second coming. But not all things related to the second coming. And sometimes some of the things that he explains just raise more questions. That happens a lot when we see things about the coming of Christ in the New Testament. So people will grab that, they'll jump to conclusions, and you end up with kind of a gnarled mess sometimes. We'll talk a little bit about that. But this isn't written for education. When we are informed about the return of Jesus, there is always, 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 always a purpose to it. We don't find out about Jesus' return so we can sit back and say, oh, so this is what's going to happen. No. We are to take that knowledge that Jesus is coming and put it to work. Paul is telling these Christians in Thessalonica to prepare for Christ's return. And that's a job that each and every Christian down through the ages has had. 
hey, it's been 2,000 years. We're still getting ready for Jesus' return. We're, in some ways, putting together a guest list. Getting ourselves dressed properly. The good thing is we don't have to worry about the catering. But Paul tells us a little about Jesus' return so we can be prepared. Tells us how we can be prepared. He tells us first to know the future. Much of this pretty short letter contains things to know about Jesus' return. Because if we're going to be prepared, we've got to be educated. How can you know what to prepare for if you don't know what's coming? Lindsay and I, we like to take cruises, go places. A lot of times in these groups that talk about cruises, there you always see people asking, okay, in Alaska in July, what should I pack? Heavy coat? Well, maybe shorts. We're not sure. <laughs> Some of these places, you, you could have a pretty wide array of weather. So we have to know what's coming. And Paul tells of the judgment that is going to come when Jesus returns here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy for, of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified to you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul points out when Jesus comes back, history is at an end. That's it. That's all there will be. There ain't going to be no more. As the philosopher said, yabbity, 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 that's all, folks. And Paul points out there's going to be two destinations at that point. Those who belong to Christ will find an end to their suffering and an eternal reward with God. And those who continued in rebellion will be judged and punished. There's no middle ground, no escape. Sometimes we can somehow get it into our heads that the really good people go to be with God. The really bad people go to the bad place. We don't, want, we don't want to use the word hell. Everybody else, what do they do? Cleveland? I don't know. We, we, we just kind of act like you know, they go someplace else. You know, my, my family, we always said, you know, in the Christian church, we don't have purgatory. We have middle school church camp. If you've ever worked a week of that, there's a lot of similarities between them. that purgatory probably smells better than a boy's dorm where they've discovered an axe body spray. But, <laughs> but those are the choices, though. There's heaven, there's hell. There's no middle place. No third option. And we sit back and we say, wait, Paul, you know, that's kind 
kind of harsh. Well, these Thessalonian Christians, they were being persecuted for their faith. And we, let there be no misunderstanding, friends. If you follow Christ, you will be persecuted. Small ways or large ways, you're going to get it. They might just look at you and laugh at you quietly. They might say nasty things about you online. Your boss might deny you a promotion. But we have brothers and sisters in this world that get thrown into prison or even executed for the name of Christ. At this time when Paul was writing this, the persecution of Christians hadn't really accelerated yet. It was present, but not like anything that it would become later on in the Roman Empire. It really started to kick in in the mid-60s AD under the term of Nero. But Paul was reminding them in their suffering they need to know there's a purpose and a better future. What do we tell kids that get bullied? Tell them it gets better. These idiots in school, you're not going to deal with them forever. You'll, you'll get through this and probably never see them again. Paul's telling Christians who are suffering for their faith, the day is coming. You will be taken to be with the Lord. It is worth it. Those who have arrayed themselves against God and have, and have persecuted you, they will find their own punishment. He says God is going to judge, and it is important to remember, friends, God is going to judge, and God is righteous. And we humans, we come up with all kinds of hypotheticals about the judgment of God. What about this situation? Someone who's never heard anything about Jesus. Or maybe someone who's had to deal with this. What about these things? And they're hard for us humans to parse out. Remember this. God is wise. God is righteous. His decisions will be right. I don't worry about the edge cases. I don't worry about the one-offs, the hypotheticals, because if and when those situations arise, you know who's judging it? It's not Phil. That one gets kicked upstairs. All the way. And there it finds a righteous, all-knowing, all-wise God sitting upon his throne. And the right decision will be made. And whatever he decides is what the just decision is. For he is righteous and holy and he knows. So if somebody starts bringing stuff to you, it's okay to say, look, I don't know, but I know who knows. It's God and he's the one who needs to know, not me. Because really what they're just trying to do is find inconsistencies. They're not asking because they have genuine questions. Genuine questions. They're asking in bad faith. They're trying to debate And it's in those moments, friends, we can pass that buck. Why would we be expected to have the answers to everything? We are not the judge. 
But Paul does say those who persist in sin will be punished. And he describes it as eternal destruction and being away from the presence of God in verse 9. And some have tried to parse this out and have arrived with a doctrine that's called annihilationism. Where basically, well, when you go to hell, essentially we just burn off your sins. And when that's done, you just wink out of existence. Friends, that's not taught in the Bible. It would be nicer than what is actually going to happen. I wish it was true. I don't think it is. And a full theology of hell is really beyond the scope of what I'm doing this morning. But if you're wondering about it, just remember this, friends. It was a place that was created for Satan and for those who joined in the rebellion with him. It wasn't made for humans. But the humans who join in the rebellion will be there. Those who are not forgiven. So keep in mind, it is a supernatural place for supernatural beings for supernatural punishment. And humans who continue to join in will be there. Well, that's kind of scary. It's a little heavy for a holiday weekend. Well, yeah. You're barbecuing burgers later. I mean, just think on these things. It's... But he also says those who belong to Christ will be rewarded. And that's really the hope. Their perseverance and suffering will pay off. He doesn't say much about heaven here. He doesn't need to. They've already been told this hope of heaven. They've been looking forward to it. It's why some of them were kind of getting down because you had a few yahoos there who were running around, well, Jesus is already coming. Looks like you missed the cut. The joke about, yeah, the youth minister fell asleep during the staff meeting, so uh, we all uh, just kind of left some clothes hanging around on the seats and you know, filed out quietly. Then we blew a trumpet. <laughs> the bus you don't want to miss. But Paul points out this is going to happen. This is sure. This is certain. Jesus talked about it. The apostles talked about it. Friends, that is our hope in him. I've seen some Christians sometimes say, well, if you're a Christian because of you know, what's coming for eternity, you're not much of a Christian. And I'm thinking, I mean, if you're not a Christian because of what's coming for eternity, what's the point? Friends, Jesus isn't so we're nice to each other. Jesus is so that we have an eternal hope. Now he goes on from here, and in chapter 2, Paul discusses the man of lawlessness. And some of you who know 2 Thessalonians are like, alright, here we go. Because we've talked about, you know, people talk, who's the man of lawlessness? What figure is he? And, well, I've done a lot of study and I think I've figured it out. You want to know who the man of lawlessness is? It's Chuck. Chuck waved to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It's not Chuck. I'll... I don't have an identification for you, but I do have a warning. He only appears here in 2 Thessalonians. It's the only place in the New Testament where he's mentioned. 
very often he gets this character gets confused with what we call the Antichrist as well as the beast from Revelation. What we do is we kind of take all three of those, mush them together, and we talk about this person as the Antichrist. Well, the only place the Antichrist is mentioned is in the letters of John, and there it is plural. Referring to anybody who's against Jesus. So you, when I'm dealing with end times imagery, I always get really cautious because it gets thick, it gets difficult, and there's a temptation to point to things and say, this is that. This is this person. I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time, people doing that are wrong. I've seen a lot of folks say, well, I think the man of lawlessness was Nero. Was it Nero? Could have been. I don't know. Personally, I think this is stuff we will not be able to make heads or tails out of until we're looking back at it. Because a lot of it is almost like how the Jews were trying to identify the Messiah before he came. They had all these ideas of what it would be like. Most of them were wrong. And there's Christians out there that have all kinds of ideas about what the end times are going to be like. And well, probably all of us are wrong in some way. So I hate to disappoint you on this. But as Paul writes about this, he doesn't really give a ton of information to us that helps us. What he's doing is writing to these people who are thinking, maybe Jesus has already come. And Paul was saying, no, it wasn't. it's not time yet. There's certain things that need to happen. And sometimes people say, well, you know, those things have yet to happen. I don't know. <laughs> sometimes you can look back in history and think, well, it could have been this. You know, it's... Because when the New Testament talks about the last days, usually that term is applied to the entire era of time from when Jesus went back to heaven until he comes back again. Friends, we are living in the last days now just like we Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. We are in the last era of how God deals with humanity. The Redeemer has come. He has done his work. We are obeying him, looking forward to his return. There isn't going to be another era after this one. Remember that? That's all, folks. <laughs> That's what we're waiting on. And knowing God's sense of humor, I could see a gigantic porky pig, you know, appearing in the heaven. <laughs> you know, folks, we have a God who likes to laugh. You don't believe me? Go to the go to the zoo and walk around. <laughs> The giraffe was not created by a God who is stern. But what we see, those who oppose Jesus will not prevail. Those who, oppose, those who seek to supplant Jesus are doomed to destruction. So we can be secure in knowing that Jesus is coming back, and when he does, it is victory, friends. It is not going to be a fight. People sometimes talk about, oh, Armageddon, a last battle, like it's going to be any sort of thing that's a toss-up. Folks, if there's a last battle like Armageddon, it's not going to be a toss-up, it's going to be a beat-down. Like the great hymn says, one little word from his mouth shall slay him. There's no question on this. 
So know this, understand this. We, Christ, we don't need perfect understanding of everything related to the second coming of Christ. Christians have disagreed about certain things, but that he is coming and that he will win are facts that are not in any dispute or doubt. And we can debate premillennial versus postmillennial versus amillennial. I'm pretty sure the premillennial dispensationalists are, you know, way out there. You know that. You know, I'm not with them. But uh, you know, the, 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 you know, we can debate these things. But everybody is unified on one fact: He's coming back. And when He comes back, He's going to win. Amen. So we are looking forward to that. We know that. And what that means is we need to pay attention to it. It ought to affect our behavior. Because in chapter 2, he says this. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Paul says we've got to live mindfully of the future. Now that we know it, we live in accordance with it. Because those who are in Christ have been chosen by God. We believe we're being sanctified to be like Jesus. So with this going on, we've got a way to be. When we know Jesus is returning, that automatically gives us a way to behave. You seen the bumper sticker, Jesus coming back, look busy? Probably want to be a little more serious than that. Maybe Jesus is coming back. Be sanctified. Don't just look it. Be it. It says we're to persevere. So many of these messages about the coming of Christ always end up with a command to persevere. To keep going. Don't give up under pressure. Don't trade the truth of Christ for popularity with the world. Don't let go of an eternal hope for some temporary relief. There's a lot of things that we could say that the world would rather hear. A lot of them would get us fat book deals and appearances on Oprah. But that doesn't make them true. But time and time again... The New Testament says, Jesus is coming back, hang in there. And we hear it because it's not easy. How many times do you have to be told to do something that's easy? When you're hungry and somebody sits you down at a table full of food, how often do they have to tell you, eat? <laughs> at most, once, give you the green light and there, you know, away you go. Because it's what you want to do. It's natural, it's right there, it's easy. But when we're told to do something many times, that's usually because it's hard. Because it's grueling. Mm -hmm. You don't have to buckle down and hang in there in good times. That's what you do when the going is tough. The little engine that could wasn't saying, I think I can, when he was on the planes. It was when he started climbing the hill. but knowing that we will prevail in the long run. In the here and now, we keep going. Paul said, stand firm. Hold to the traditions, to what we've been taught. 
these Christians in Thessalonica, they were suffering. They were wondering if they'd missed out. But Paul says, keep on keeping on. It's going to be worth it. It's bad. It's going to get worse. But it will end in victory. Yeah, the going is dark. It's about to get pitch black. And then we will see His glorious light. And it's not just a matter of keeping on and following Christ. We get into chapter 3 where Paul kind of sticks all the practical stuff in this letter. We see some who are using Jesus' return not as a motivator, but as an excuse. Instead of looking at Jesus' return and saying, man, you know, he's coming back. That means I've got to get, get ready, got to be doing his stuff. They were saying their attitude was kind of, he'll be back shortly. Why bother working? <coughs> they become a drain on the community. And Paul says they need to knock that off. And he issues the command, if they will not work, neither shall they eat. Because rather than adding to the community, rather than strengthening the community, they were taking out of the community. Mm. They were saying, ah, I don't need to be productive. I don't need to worry about it. Paul says, as we persevere, we need to be productive to put into the community. Friends, don't look at what you can get from the church. Look at what you can bring to the church. Amen. Sometimes when we... Man, and I, this term we use in, in, in American Christianity, may God forgive us, we church shop. We look for the one that's... We say we're looking for the right fit, but we actually start asking the question, hey, what can you do for me? We act like we're the superstar shopping teams. Well, I got my talents. Usually means well, I got a family full of children. Y'all want kids, right? What are you going to do for me? And we're not asking the question... How can I serve? Elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that each of us is blessed and equipped to serve us. Friends, God wants us to strengthen His community. When we look for that proper fit, the proper fit is not what you're doing for me. The proper fit is where I can serve you. Does this congregation have a place and a need for the talents that I bring? Are there ways in which I can enhance this community of God? That's the attitude we ought to have. Mm. Because that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, we're not here to be idle. We're not here to sit back. We are here to put in for all of us to bring our abilities, our actions, our talents that the community of Christ might be stronger and people might come to Him. So we've got to be asking that question, what can I do to strengthen the kingdom? And it may have changed over the years. Some of y'all may remember crawling around on the floor with the one-year-olds. And you're thinking, yeah, it ain't happening now. <laughs> with your one-and-a-half knees. <laughs> Over the years, what we can do will change. But there's always something. 
even if finally our bodies are completely betraying us and all we can do is bring an encouraging word and a heart of prayer. Mm-hmm. Friends, that's still vital service. Mm-hmm. You don't believe me? You go around and you start encouraging people and you see what happens. Matter of fact, any of us can do that. Why don't we try that? Amen. That might be fun. Maybe over this month, what we ought to do every week, everybody in here, find somebody to encourage. Tell them how you appreciate them. Tell them how you see what they're doing. Don't just play easy. You know, don't just go up to meet the preacher and be, oh, I enjoy your sermon. No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Find somebody who's doing something that people may not notice. And say a good word to them about how you appreciate it. I tell you, that's going to have a transformative effort. Friends, Jesus is coming back. Don't just look busy. Be about His work. Because we hold a tremendous promise. Paul's saying, we're not forgotten by our God. We're not abandoned by our Lord. He is coming back. He is going to retrieve us from beyond the grave if needed. You want to know how badly God wants us to be with Him? If we have died, He's going to get us from beyond death. That is certain. We know what the future holds. We can rely on this promise. But this promise isn't just knowledge, it's motivation. We know He is coming, so we cling to this promise. We keep on serving Him. We know that our efforts are going to be rewarded in eternity. Those weeks at junior high camp or in VBS, friends, those are jewels in your crown. (laughs) To use an image we use a lot of times. And we look to the future. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We know we will. Until then, we serve Him. Through whatever may come, we continue to serve Him, knowing His promises are sure. We say there's only two things that are certain in life. Death and taxes. At least death only comes once. Maybe for a Christian, there's three things. No, actually, there's still only two. Taxes. <laughs> Sorry, man. You just never get away from those. And the return of Christ. Wait, what happened to death? We're in Christ. He's defeated death. We don't have to worry about death. He's coming back. Let's be ready. Stay with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you do for us. We praise you. For Lord, you are great, you are holy, and you have given us such a wonderful promise in you. Lord, help us. Help us to look forward expectantly. Help us to be sure and certain of what you have promised that Jesus is coming back. Lord, help us to be ready.